So let's see if anyone can finish this uh, sentence for me. Pride comes before the fall. We've all heard that before, right? Proverbs 16, 18. We've heard it all of our lives. Um, but it, I would argue that it's probably some of the most ignored advice of all time. Uh, there was a source unknown. I found this too good to pass up. But it says, pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. <laughs> like I said, I don't know who said that. But I thought it was really good and appropriate for tonight. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. There is one vice by which no man in the world is free. Which everyone loathes when he sees it in someone else. And of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. I have heard people admit that they are bad tempered. Or that they cannot keep their head about girls or drink. Or even that they are cowards. I do not think I have ever heard anyone who was not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault that makes a man more unpopular, no fault of which we are more unconscious of it in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking about is pride, self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is a complete anti-God state of mind. So Proverbs 8 tells us that the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. And it goes on to tell us that pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And no person in the Bible uh, will come to understand this truth better than King Nebuchadnezzar. Proud of everything that he had comp- accomplished, proud of the power that he had become, proud of the empire that he had built. Um, It was just pride upon pride upon pride stacked up. And he's going to learn the hard way that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. He's going to be in one moment strutting around like a king and then the next moment he's going to be on all fours living like an animal. And he will learn the hard way that the most high God is God and he is not. So what does this name, Most High God, suggest? Uh, The first mention of the name Most High God is found in Genesis when Abraham returns to battle against the kings and he is meeting with the priest Melchizedek. And we are told there that the priest uh, was the priest of the Most High God, ruler of heaven and earth. And the phrase explains the name. It is not referring to God in his role as redeemer. It is not referring to God uh, other than his sovereignty and the ruler of heaven and earth. He is ruler. He is sovereign. And as mentioned throughout the uh, the theme of the book of Daniel, 
that our God is sovereign. A little bit further in the Old Testament in Isaiah 14. Everybody flip over to Isaiah 14. I want you to see this for yourself. We will see the Most High used when we have a description of the thoughts that went through the mind of Satan in the moment of his rebellion against God. Isaiah 14, we're going to be starting in verse 12. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan here in this moment, full of pride, says to himself, and, and you know, I've thought of, why didn't Satan say, I want to be the redeemer of the world? I want to be the savior of the world. I want to be wise like God. That's because he was full of pride. He did not care about all those other characteristics of God. He wanted to be like God. And so, as we look at what is meant by the Most High, here we have Nebuchadnezzar looking at this vast empire that he had created, Babylon. And he is swelled up with pride. And in his pride, God is not going to tolerate the position that he takes because God hates pride. He is sovereign. It questions his will. It claims his position. And... Um, he is not going to take that from the created because he is the creator. So the big idea of uh, chapter 4 in Daniel is because God is sovereign, he will not allow others to steal his glory. And he humbles all who proudly trust in themselves. He will not allow others to steal his glory and he humbles all who proudly trust in themselves. Um. In the same way that uh, throughout the rest of the book of Daniel so far, we've seen that God is in the business of revealing himself, and he's in the business of letting people know that he is God. And uh, it's not going to be any different than chapter 4. So let's go ahead and start with point number one. The God of Daniel will allow suffering that leads to repentance will allow suffering that leads to repentance. And let's start reading in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Okay, let's pause there for a moment. Because here we see Nebuchadnezzar giving honor to the most high God. For all that he has, he's trying to wish peace upon people. And he... Starts off chapter 4 in the same way that he ended with chapter 3. With a kingly decree. But this one's different. It's a little bit of a personal testimony. 
And he wishes to honor the Most High God for what he has done to lead him and to all the people. He starts off to all the nations, languages. If uh, King Nebuchadnezzar would have been alive today, this would have been like him calling all the news stations, getting all the social media outlets around. He wanted everyone to know, to all the people, to all the nations, to all the languages. He wanted people to know what God had done for him. May your prosperity increase. Now, this sounds pretty promising for old King Neb. Sounds like he's having a good moment here. Sounds like he has maybe turned from his old ways and he's starting to uh, do what honors God. Um, Another pretty cool point is if you want to in your own time, you can maybe write it out to the side. But Psalm 145.13 says this. And I want you to keep your spot in Daniel in in verse 3. And see if you can see the the comparisons. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. I don't know if Daniel had been talking to him, if he had read it somewhere else. But he is quoting scriptures. He is saying these things. His worldview is changing. His spiritual perspectives are turning on their heads. But the real question is, does he follow after Yahweh? Is he truly a follower of God, of the Most High God? Or is it a show? Um, And let me just use this as a moment to just stop and let this be a warning to us. Um, Matt Chandler often says about uh, his churches in the Metroplex. And he has talked to other pastors from other places in the United States. And he says one of the most difficult things about being a pastor in Texas is that everyone's a Christian. Everyone thinks they're a Christian, right? And we have a lot of people, especially here in um, America especially in the South, especially in Texas. It's still a popular thing to be a Christian. It's not as popular as it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago, but it's still a popular thing. Churches are filled. They're on every street corner. So I'm going to use this as a, as a warning to quote-unquote believers, whether you're a follower of God or not, that we can pay lip service to God And not be following after him. We can pretend and we can show up in his building and we can worship. uh, But that does not necessarily mean that we are following after him. As we're going to see that this is the case for King Nebuchadnezzar. It could also be the case for us as well. Luckily he will get our attention. Which leads us to point number two. The God of Daniel will trouble our hearts to get our attention. He will trouble our hearts to get our attention. Let's continue reading in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions in my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters... Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. 
Um, my children the other night, uh, my wife and I were getting them ready for bed. Uh, and about that time, it got time for bath. And we said, okay. Isaiah's gotten to the point where you have to give him very specific instructions on what to do. Okay, Isaiah, here's what I want you and Abigail to do. I want you to go to mom and dad's bathroom. I want you to take off all of your clothes. I want you to get into the shower. I want you to turn the water on. And we want you to start soaping yourself off and we'll be in there in a minute. Okay. So we sit there and we're talking, catching up about the day, how our day was, all that good stuff. And about... Six or seven minutes later, we still hear giggling and laughing and playing. and So, I did the greatest thing that I know to do as a parent. I grabbed the spatula. And I walked to the bathroom. This is our weapon of a choice that we use in our house. This hurts. This does not. It's wonderful. Me. I don't care about them. We'll just go. So, as I walked into the bathroom... Uh, they are both uh, naked. They got to that point. And yet they are standing there playing. And I said, what did dad ask you to do? And, you know, the terror that a five and a seven-year-old, the look on their face. And I said, okay, I'll bend over. You both get one swat. And Isaiah is looking at me in that look of confusion of, how can I get out of this? Can I do this? I, Abigail just loses it and starts screaming like I've already started beating her. And it's amazing. I pop Isaiah. He gets in the shower. And she's screaming so much that I'm laughing. And I can't pop her. And it takes me a good 10 to 15 seconds to stop laughing before I can pop her and her get in the shower. So um, why do I tell you that? I'll tell you in a minute. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, <laughs> at last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magici magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the earth and to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. So Nebuchadnezzar has a second disturbing dream um, that he receives from God. This was more than likely late in his life, and he's probably enjoying a lot of time of rest and relaxation, time to sit around and look at the kingdom that he had built, um, and for his pride to swell. But God gives him a second dream, one that frightens him. And it wasn't the first part of his dream that frightened him, but it was the second part of the dream that frightened him. Because in the first, it spoke of a tree, a big tree. And it grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, 
visible to the whole ends of the earth. It was beautiful and its fruit was abundant. And in it was food for all. And the beasts beasts found shelter under it. Um, The birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And all flesh was fed from it. Augustine said this. If you want to build a a tall house of virtues, you must first lay deep foundations of humility. But did King Nebuchadnezzar have those deep foundations? This is where the angel steps in. And this is the part that scared King Neb. Here, verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said this. Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off the leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. And leave the stump of its roots in the earth. Bound with a band of iron and bronze. Amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. And let the... Let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end uh, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of man and gives to it whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me its interpretation. But you are able for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So the key that unlocks the purpose of this whole chapter is and the interpretation of the dream. This sentence is by decree of this watcher, this angel. So that the living will know that the most high is ruler over the human kingdoms. God gives to anyone that he desires to. God sets them up. God makes people low. God gives to whomever he wishes. And that's exactly what he has done here to King Nebuchadnezzar. But as Brian Chappelle says, talents, brains, and opportunity mean nothing apart from God's provision. And as much as King Nebuchadnezzar's pride is beginning to swell, uh, we will see that God is going to bring him low. And I personally believe that King Nebuchadnezzar just like my children earlier, had a little bit of an idea that uh, they, as well as he, were in trouble when he was given this dream. I think deep down inside, King Nebuchadnezzar knew when he had this vision, when he had this dream, that I don't want to ask Daniel first because I really don't want to know the interpretation yet. I'm going to ask all these guys, see if they can tell me. Because I think he kind of knew deep down inside that he was in trouble. And when he had it, and he knew who gave him the dream the first time, and he knew who was giving him the dream the second time, and he starts with his other advisors before he went to the sure deal with Daniel. He knew Daniel could do it. He knew that Daniel uh, had the spirit of the holy gods inside of him. He knew he was able to give him the interpretation. But the king started off with his guys first. And when that was a dead end, he went to Daniel. 
And I think he went to Daniel because the king needed a truth man, not a yes man. Okay? And that's exactly why he kept Daniel around. That's exactly why I think he went to Daniel after his guys could not interpret his dream. He needed a truth man, not a yes man. Which leads us to point number three. The God of Daniel will expose our sin and call us to repentance. He will expose our sin. Starting in verse 19, let's continue reading. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And he answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven. It was visible to the end of the whole earth, those whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which the food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heavens, your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon the Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed uh, for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So here we have Daniel. The man of God, God's man, he is now stunned and alarmed. I don't think it's because he feared for his own life, but he feared for what was going to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. I think Daniel had developed a pretty amazing friendship with King Nebuchadnezzar. There's a picture, a drawing by a guy named Guy Rowe, and I'm sure by now... Daniel would have grown pretty fond of Nebuchadnezzar. He cared for King Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that God had set him up in this time for a, a, for a reason. And he had a, such a good friendship with him that when he knew the interpretation of the dream, he was just alarmed and it messed with him. It messed with him so much that King Nebuchadnezzar realized it. And he told him, Belshazzar, Don't let this dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Daniel then tells him 
that he wished that this dream that he dreamt was about his enemies or was it about the was going to come true for the people who hate King Nebuchadnezzar. But like Moses before Pharaoh, like Elijah before Ahab and the prophets of Baal, like John before Herod, Jesus before Pilate, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what he needs to hear, not what he wants to hear. We have to speak the truth in love. And it's one of the most difficult things that we could ever have to do to someone that we love and care for. And as difficult as it was for Daniel in this moment, it's something that is very difficult for us to do as well. So let's look at a very quick breakdown. The tree is you and all your greatness. The tree is going to be chopped down with the stump remaining. You're going to live like an animal. All of this will happen to you to teach you that the Most High is in control. And when you come back to your senses, you will get your kingdom back. And God is gracious and loving and God who is quick to forgive and show mercy. Uh, Now, when my children get in trouble or you would think that this would wake King Nebuchadnezzar up and he would think that if this is going to happen to me, I need to do something to change the outcome. So Daniel gives him some things at the end. Listen to my counsel. Stop your sinning. Start doing what is right. Stop your wickedness and show mercy to the oppressed. This is what you should do. These are some things that you should think about and you should ponder and you should do. Take my counsel. Is the king going to listen? We'll see, right? But we have to be willing to share bad news with people that are out of sorts with God. Um, Just a few weeks back, I had a former youth, and he came up to me. It's been a while since I've seen him. And um, he came up to me and says, man, I'm just in a bad place. And I don't feel like God is speaking to me, and I don't have the warm, fuzzy feelings, and I just don't feel like getting up and coming to church. And on and on he went about his feelings, and I don't feel, and I don't feel. And I stopped him, and I said, Okay, can I say something and just shoot straight with you? Yes, please, shoot straight with me. I said, I don't care about your feelings. And I'm going to be honest with you, God doesn't care about your feelings either. The Bible tells us, and I said, if you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, and you get to the last verse, Solomon gives us some pretty good wisdom. He says that after all of this is said and all this is done, here's the end of the matter. You need to fear God and you need to obey His commandments. I said, that's what you need to do. I said, do you fear God? I want you to think about that and ponder whether or not you fear God. And then secondly, you need to obey his commandments. Regardless of whether you feel like it or not, obey. And guess what? If you start obeying, it's amazing. You're going to start feeling better. He took the advice. We'll see what he does with it, right? But we have to be willing to speak truth in love. We must be willing to tell others that God is not pleased with their pride. And the human tendency is to push him aside and think that uh, we are, that we measure up with all of these things that we've done or all this success that we've had. We must be willing to say why God works against us. But we also might need to say um, one day that we know that he is sovereign, he is in control. And we are not. 
And we have to be able to share that with people. And then, of course, when people get to the end of their rope, we have to be ready to call people to repentance and offer hope in the same way that God does. And Daniel did all of those things. Daniel lays out the interpretation. Daniel tells him exactly what's going to happen. He speaks truth and love. And then the text stops. And we fast forward a year. We fast forward 12 months into the future. Uh, The text here does not tell us how King Nebuchadnezzar took the advice. It doesn't say whether he got angry with Daniel. It doesn't say whether he pondered it for a little while and went on. It doesn't tell us. But it does tell us and it does show us that Daniel had the backbone to stand up and tell the most prideful person in the world that what he was doing was wrong. And he was faithful to the opportunity that God gave him to share that with King Nebuchadnezzar. And opportunities will come to us and I hope that we are willing and able to take that stand as well. So let's keep going. Number four. The God of Daniel humbles us when we are arrogant and prideful. The God of Daniel humbles us when we are arrogant and prideful. Starting in verse 28. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof in the royal palace in Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not the great Babylon which I have built By my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling place shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives to it whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men. He ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew from heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So King Nebuchadnezzar is going to pay the price for his I and my perspective in verse 30. And at the end of this 12 months, knowing full well what Daniel had said was going to happen, he still boasted. He still had pride. And the hammer of God's judgment was going to fall. And we've seen God's judgment fall like this before. If you look back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were living in peace with God, and they were confronted with a tree. In the same way old King Nevis confronted with a tree. And in their pride, they wanted to be like God. And in the way that Nebuchadnezzar was, he wanted to be like God. But instead of becoming like gods, they were banished from Eden. And like Adam and Eve, Nebuchadnezzar had forgotten. And he paid the price. Who the Most High God was, who had given him everything that he had. I want you to think about that. He forgot who the Most High God was. Because if you look back at verse 2, he sure was trying to give him a lot of props. And here in the same chapter, he forgets. But he had 12 months to ponder it. 12 months to think about Daniel's word. 
And as he was walking on his roof in the royal palace of Babylon, he begins to brag and boast and how special he was and how much he had accomplished and how great his kingdom was. He really did think he was a big deal. I mean, honestly, he was a big deal. But he forgot who made him a big deal. Is this not Babylon, this great power that I've built? My majesty, I did this. I deserve all the praise. I'm the smartest. I'm the man. You know, I would be willing to bet that most of us in this room, we've accomplished some pretty amazing things in our life as well. Um, And I think it would be good for us to have a daily reminder that you would have nothing if it weren't for God's provision in your life. It was God who helped us to be born where we were, helped us to be able to uh, live in the time that we live, the exact place that we are, to have the jobs and the skills that we could have. I mean, all that you have, you owe to God's providence. We, we owe it to God. And I think whatever we can do to be a daily reminder that God is in control and we are not would be the best thing for us to go through. But this divine thunderclap is going to come down from heaven and the message with a severe judgment and sentencing. And here's what the kingdom is taken from you. You will be driven away from humanity. You will live like the animals. You will eat like the animals. And as long as it takes, it's going to take seven periods of time to get his attention. Until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over the human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone that he wants. There's actually a mental illness that explains this. Uh, I may not say it right, but bone therapy is what it's called. And it's literally this. Those who suffer from a very rare but very scary mental disorder, bone therapy, believe they are cows, often going as far as to behave as such. Sometimes those with bone therapy are even found in fields with cows, walking on all fours, chewing on the grass as if they were true members of the herd. Those with this disease do not seem to realize that what they are doing when they act like cows, leading researchers to believe that this odd mental disorder is brought on by (laughs) dreams and even hypnotism. Go figure. So this man who considered himself superhuman now becomes like the beast of the field. He will live with the animals instead of with men. He will eat like the animals. Sinclair Ferguson said it this way. I love it. The one who refused to honor God's glory loses his own glory. Refusing to share what he has with the poor, he becomes poorer than the poor. He becomes outwardly what his heart had been spiritually and inwardly. Bestial or like an animal. So this is what's going to happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, what's going to happen after that? Let's continue reading. Number five, the God of Daniel always does what is right. The God of Daniel always does what is right. Verse 34. After the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him whose lives, uh, who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay, uh, can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I'm not sure if King Nebuchadnezzar knew that verse, but when he turns and looks to heaven, it says uh, his uh, humanity was returned to him. After looking down at the ground for seven years like an animal, he turned up and looked to heaven and he was restored to being a man again. The book does not say yes or no whether King Nebuchadnezzar was a follower of God, whether he... um, whether he was a Christian or not, whether he was a follower of Yahweh or not. I think Daniel does this on purpose. I think Daniel wants us to wrestle with it. I think Daniel wants us to examine our own lives. And I, want, I think he wants us to go, okay, if I look at King Nebuchadnezzar and after chapter 1 and he puts Daniel and his friends in a high place, you're like, man, he's giving honor and glory to God. And then chapter 2, he acts like a... Uh, like a fool. And at the end of chapter 2, he praises the God of Daniel. And you're like, well, maybe he's turned a new leaf. And then chapter 3, he's throwing three teenagers into a, a fire pit. And you're like, no, he's not. And then he gets to the end of chapter 3, and, and he's honoring Yahweh again. Over and over again, we see this roller coaster King Nebuchadnezzar. And the text never says... Uh, Personally, I think he entered into a relationship with God here in chapter 4 when his reason returned to him. Uh, And he does what any right-thinking person would do. He worshiped the only living and true God. When he got his mind back, he also got his kingdom back. In fact, he says it didn't just get it back, but it says even more greatness came to him. Um, And as that greatness came... How does he respond? Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens. And he gives us three great reasons why our God is worthy of praise. Number one, God's works are true. His works are true. Secondly, God's ways are just. And lastly, it says God is able to humble those who walk in pride. Humble those who walk in pride. So that's Daniel chapter 4. A very quick Daniel chapter 4. So how does this text, how does Daniel chapter 4 point us to Jesus? First of all, God gives kingdoms. And he gives kingdoms to whoever he wishes. If you look through history, God does what he wishes. With whom he wishes to do it with. Uh, Think of the history of God's people. You think of... Uh, young David and how he bypassed all of his older brothers to become king. We see Solomon uh, become king over his older brother. Uh, Even King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, We 
saying that he was given authority for a time and a purpose. And ultimately, part of that time and purpose was to uh, punish God's people for their idol worship. And King Nebuchadnezzar was part of that plan in which God used him. But it was also to make his na- God's name famous to the nations and show that he is sovereign over all creation. I want you to think about Jesus. When we think about Jesus, born in a stable, poor, despised, eventually crucified, but claiming after his resurrection that God had given him all authority in heaven and on earth. God had done it before with kings, and God would do it again in the form of his son being sent to earth uh, for, to make a way for us to be made right with his father. Lastly, king... Capital K King versus little K King. Daniel 4 will give us several snapshots to remind us that there is a God. Uh, it will give us several snapshots to, uh, for us to realize that we are not God. Uh, we know that Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold, the most powerful man in the world. And Daniel doesn't want us to miss the contrast between King Nebuchadnezzar and Jesus, the king of the Jews. So here's a little chart I put. It's up on the screen. Nebuchadnezzar was a mere man. Jesus was eternal God. Nebuchadnezzar was sinful. Jesus was sinless. One was merciless. One was merciful. One glorified himself. One humbled himself. One wanted to be served. The other came to serve or to seek and save the lost. One exalted himself and was humbled by God. And the other humbled himself and was exalted by God. And he doesn't want us to miss the contrast between these two kings. And it points us forward to Jesus in that even though Nebuchadnezzar was the most mighty king that ever um, was over an empire in the earth, we know that Jesus, the stone, the rock, is going to crush the statue, is going to become a mountain uh, through us uh, that will never go away. And that uh, nation will never uh, go away. We will only grow and become more powerful. Philippians chapter 2. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. Point to what Jesus did for us. We'll start reading in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is that sovereign king that we should bend the knee to. And like we talked about in chapter 2, his kingdom will never go away. It will last forever. He is a God. Our God is sovereign. And he gives us the most beautiful picture of a humble servant that we should try to compare our own lives to and try to measure up. Uh, but that will reign forever. So pride. Um, I meet with a small group of guys on Friday mornings. And we were studying Daniel chapter 4 last week. Because um, a lot of them are going to be uh, talking with the teenagers about it. So I'm trying to give them a little bit of head start on it. And 
And one of the guys piped up this week and he said, you know, as I read Daniel chapter 4, I really wanted to put myself in the role of Daniel. I really wanted to be like Daniel. He goes, but the more and more I read it and the more and more I studied it, the more I realized I'm Nebuchadnezzar. I am the one that is filled with pride, the one that is sinful, the one that tries to glorify himself, that wants to be served. That's me. That's our sin. The same sin that was Nebuchadnezzar's is the exact same sin that is ours. Um, that, and it's the same sin that was Satan's. This is our sin individually, uh, and this is our sin as a nation The greatest sin of all that we take glory for ourselves instead of giving the credit to God. When we do well, we really like to pat ourselves on the back and look at what we've done and look how special I am. And when we do something bad, it's not our fault. It's someone else's fault. And that is the very spirit that got Satan kicked out of heaven. The very pride that caused that to happen, that caused Nebuchadnezzar to crawl around on the ground like an animal is the same pride that resides inside of us. But luckily, God has made a way through his son Jesus who emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the one who humbled himself so that we could find forgiveness from the Father above. So let's not take his glory away because if we do, he's going to humble us in one way or another. So let's pray.